My name is uh, Yalte. It's a Danish name, so it's very hard for people to, to pronounce. How do you spell that? <laughs> H-J-A-L-T-E. And that's where it goes really wrong, because then people have no idea on how to say it. But basically, it's just Yalte, Danish. Yeah, and I'm 22 years old. I live in Copenhagen at the moment, travel back and forth from US and where we have our second office. And along with my two co-founders, Christopher and Jesper, we have, and along with our 30 plus awesome employees, we have something called Soundbox, which is a startup company that produces and develops basically the loudest playing battery powered speaker on the market. Very suitable for any kind of party where you don't have any um, steady power supply and you want to play like 50 100 people off for a party and you don't want to worry about breaking the speaker, running out of battery, all these things that you basically just want to have a good time. That's what we created this for. And how old are you? 22. Yeah, today. So we started the, our first company when we were 18, actually. It was this company as well or another one? That was another one and <laughs> went terribly wrong, but we... I wouldn't say it went wrong, but it didn't succeed itself. But we met so many amazing people. We learned so much. I wouldn't do any, like if I had the chance, I would still have done the same things. Like Soundbox would not have been here today with, without the learnings and the network we made from the first company. But we definitely burned a lot of money. <laughs> you said you have two co-founders. <laughs> and can you tell us their name and what their age are as well? Jesper is also 22 and Christopher is 23 now, just recently. So all, all younger 20s. And then were they all part of the other companies? Yeah, Jesper and me started the first one together and Christopher was like, basically, we knew him. We were going to high school together. So he had been like uh, following us and, and we had these two companies basically started at the same time. We just thought that Soundbox was going to be more of a hobby business. So we had it as a registered company, but we had not seen that we would be all over the world and 30 employees like two years later that we didn't know there was going to be so much interest for something because we just created this product for ourselves and our friends, basically. Why don't we just briefly touch on the other company and then we're going to make the majority of the focus on Soundbox. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's totally different. It was a digital platform to connect elderly people. And we did IT courses for, for elderly people. Yeah, it's op- exactly so it has opposite. nothing to do with parties and speakers. But in the end, it has to, it somehow has because it's about bringing people together. It's about making different cultures, different opinions meet. It's also in some sense what Soundbox is, is a lot about. So we're basically doing IT courses for, for elderly people because it's such a huge issue that in Denmark, 25% of all the medical visits above 65 years is because of loneliness. A medical visit is free. All medical bills are paid by the government in Denmark. So imagine how much that costs the government. So that was a clear pain here that we wanted to solve. It was just way too complicated and it was way too slow and way too boring. We kind of could identify ourselves a little bit more with Soundbox. Uh, but it got us started and uh, we learned a lot of things. I missed that when you said something about 65% and then loneliness of older people. Yes, 25% of all medical visits above 65 years old is because of loneliness and not because of an actual illness. That's just a lot of money out of the window when the government pays all the medical visits. Yeah. How did you come across that set and figure that out? And why did you want to do something about it? Basically had innovation in high school. We just wanted to do some kind of a company. And we had this, basically the exam in our high school innovation class was that we had to come up with a social innovation product slash company. So we started like looking at different options and for some reason, we had some chats with an old friend and we just kind of got into it. Like we just had open arms and we, we heard about this pain and we thought, hmm, that's interesting. Let's, let's see what we can do here. Can you briefly just talk about, you said you went through a lot of money there and you were doing it right out of high school, these two companies? Yeah. So we basically, we were pretty confident 
confident that we were never going to study on university. We're pretty aligned on that. And we just wanted to start something and we wanted to kind of invest in our own education. So we didn't really see it as a necessary thing to earn money. So we just basically saved up our money. We had a side job. One of our friends went on sabbatical year trips, like people do that in Denmark. They travel for one or two years before they go to university. It's a kind of a different school system. We get paid to go to school. There's a lot of things to get this very high taxes. So it's a little bit different. And high school, we finish that when you're 18 in Denmark. And then, yeah, I mean, we, we had this side job and we had these ideas. We didn't really know anything about what we were doing, but we just knew that we wanted to do something. So we basically just reached out to a lot of people who were successful entrepreneurs, uh, successful CEOs and blah, blah, blah. And we basically just wrote, cold emailed them and asked them, hey, we don't know anything about what we're doing, but we really want to do something. Would you mind talking to us for 30 minutes, helping us out, like just answering questions? And that's basically how we got started. These very crazy ideas we had was just a conversation starter for a lot of, for our, I would call it like a half year intense education where you just talk to a lot of different people, got so many different inputs and stories about how they got started. We had a chance to throw money at developers that didn't deliver what they promised. And we just did all the traditional mistakes, thinking that you can get a full functioning website for $1,000 or <laughs> all these things. I think that's really important reaching out because it's not hard. People are scared of doing it. It seems like a lot. And it's like, what's the worst thing that would have happened when you emailed those people that they say no, right? And then you can just go to the next person. It's not, yeah, exactly. it's not like you get in trouble. Of course, we, we got a lot of no's and we got a lot of uh, people who didn't answer. But I think at least like three, four people out of 10 ended up writing back or saying yes. So I think it's all about how you contact people. If you say that you are genuinely interested in how the hell they did what they did, you're really impressed with what they are doing right now. Like talk to people's emotions, like make them feel important because they are important for you. So you're not even lying. Just show your genuine interest and people will help you. That's my experience. Yeah, again, 100% agree with you. Because it's like cold emails, like a 1% hit rate. But when you're talking about that, it seems like 30 to 40 maybe. And then yeah. I'm getting high responses when I just reach out and I don't know the people because it's exactly, to a T, exactly what you say is what I do with the, yeah. um, actually even more genuinely interested in your company because I like speakers a lot. And I've always been wondering what like power wise, there hasn't been a lot on the market. But yes, yeah, let's talk exclusively about Sandbox after this, but can you just tell us about the other company or how you got funding and, and when you finally closed and then we'll talk about Sandbox the rest of the way. Yeah, so we had some child savings from our parents. I think we had like two or $3,000 each. Yeah, US. Yeah, US dollars. And then we saved up a few other thousand dollars from working from side jobs. And that's basically it. Like we bootstrapped everything. We didn't, <laughs> we didn't really throw money at anything. Like everything was, was people helping us because they believed in what we did somehow, I think. What did we end up using on the first startup? I think we ended up using like maybe five to eight thousand dollars on the first startup. So that was basically funded out of our own pockets. And we had, so we, we, I think the most important decision we made was to rent an office space in a, um, in a like similar to WeWork. So like, a, what, what is that called? Like, well, there's other startups. It's a co-hub. Uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, without Indeed. having any revenue, without having any website, without having any clue about what we're doing, we rented this space because then we knew that we would be along other people who might have a clue about what they were doing. We just wanted to get into the community. We really didn't think about making money or anything at all. We just wanted to 
are doing. Again, it's, it's, it's that same thing about when you're reaching out for people's stories, you're just trying to be be where those people are instead of being just, you know, in your addict or something like that with the, the I guess the two co-founders. Yeah. All right. Let's talk about Soundbox. Good with gadgets or something? How, how did you figure out you wanted to play around with speakers and, and make them better? Yeah. Jesper and Christopher has been building these like huge festival speakers for many, many years, ever since we were allowed to start to party. Like the drinking age is 16 in Denmark. So we basically start drinking around yeah, 15 yeah, even that. earlier. It's yeah. kind of crazy now that I think of it. But, but <laughs> 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 anyway, we did that. Um, that was great. I came into Soundbox with the sentence like, guys, I don't know anything about speakers but i know what a guy who doesn't know anything about speakers wants oh that's perfect yeah so christopher and jesper had all the technical knowledge basically they had learned how to build these speakers from the online diy community which is really big globally there's like this design uploaded by a guy called saturnus called the boominator which has been built by more than twelve thousand people all over the world that's how they got started and that's how we got inspired. And I looked at these speakers at Roskilde the Festival, which is like similar to Burning Man, just not in a desert, just in rainy Denmark. And I was partying with Jesper and Christopher in, in our camps and I was just like, shit, man, why, why is no one building this for the masses? It could be huge. We, we already agreed on that. And at this point, it was basically this wooden box with a car battery inside. It was clumsy. It was, it was, <laughs> it was ridiculous. Like it was, uh, it was not easy to use in any way, but it worked. And there was nothing else like this out there. The other alternative would be a PA system and a generator. So many cables, so much bullshit that it's not really worth all the trouble unless you, you really want to make that party happen or if you actually have the technical knowledge. So, so the first ones they were making were, because I'm, I'm just looking up this boominator. So they basically just took car battery, put it in there and, and used that? Yeah, basically, that's how this whole DIY community uh, has been centered around. Yeah. Okay. They're playing around with these. I guess they're bringing it to the festivals. Let's talk about how it actually became more of a company. Exactly. Yeah. So we had this, like, it worked, and friends started to approach Jesper and Christopher, and they had put up an ad on something similar to Craigslist. So that's like, while we are graduating high school, basically saying that they could build this speaker for a few other people. And they got more than 200 phone calls and emails, text messages. Everyone wanted to buy this wooden box with a car battery inside for $1,000. And that's why I was like, guys, shit, there's something here. So that's kind of when we realized, okay, this is interesting. This could be a real hobby business for the summer for Roskilde Festival. Because this was all Roskilde Festival attendees who wanted this speaker. But we had no clue that it was actually also needed in all over the world and in so many other use cases than just Roskilde Festival. But that's that's later in the story. So half a year later, after we had... This, this is how it ties all together. It's so weird to look back at because my sense of time is... <laughs> It's, yeah, it's weird. But we decided then, I don't know, like half a year later to, to finalize the product. And at New Year's Eve, Jesper came to us like the, a few days after New Year's Eve where he had been looking at a friend's power bank that he had just gotten home from China, which is like a huge, huge power bank that could charge your phone like 10, 15 times. And he had been like, shit, guys, if we can make this send out 12 volts instead of five, it could power the speaker for 10, 20 hours instead of a car battery. That's kind of where the point where we realized, okay, this is not like, why has no one done this before? This is not a joke. Like this, this could actually become something serious because we had had the pain ourselves, like running around with these like 20 kilos. What's that? Like 60 pound car batteries. And it's just such a hassle. They just work so bad. And generators was not a possibility because 
polluting as hell and you it's also clumsy so the fact that you could have these swappable lithium batteries and make that play the speaker for so many hours that that was a game changer for us and we just had no idea why no one else had done it but we decided to forget about why had no one else done it and we just did it so three months after we had the final prototype of the product working that's kind of how how it all worked out yeah. Can you talk about that power bank more? Because that seems, I mean, the Spuminators, it seems awesome that it makes a lot of noise and that other people can do it, but it seems like the real game changer was that battery. So what, what do you mean by that power bank? And can you explain a little bit further? Yeah, so I think what we wanted to, what was necessary for us is that the batteries were swappable because you had to play 24-7, basically. And all the other speakers out there, they have an integrated battery and the car batteries allowed us to have the battery outside and make it swappable. We came up with this basically super simple idea that you don't have the battery integrated. And we took this lithium battery, we stacked it up a few more times. We made it bigger than the other competitors out there. Basically just came up with a very, very smart battery system. So you're allowed to have two, three, five batteries if you want to play basically for infinity. It's so simple, but it just works so well. And I think no one has ever done it because they haven't really experienced the pain before. And no other of the community member, the DIY community, they had never switched to these smaller lithium batteries because they're very expensive if you had to buy them like custom made. We kind of bought in for like what, 500 speakers. And that's where it, it first starts to make sense in terms of costs. The batteries that you're talking about, you said he was in China, his friend. Did y'all go to a manufacturer to get them? I'm just trying to see what they would look like comparatively to, I think most people know what a car battery looks like or like or anything like that, but are, are they totally different? Basically, just imagine a normal lithium power bank stacked up like five times on top of each other and then in a hard case. And then we use lithium iron phosphate, which is the same types of battery used in windmills and airplanes. So they can actually tolerate really, really high degrees up to like 100. Uh, I have to translate in Fahrenheit. Anyway, like 80 degrees in the Celsius and minus 20 Celsius. I don't know what that translates into Fahrenheit. But and it can basically can't explode. Like you've seen the Hoover balls and the Samsung phones. This product is all about never worrying and you bring it to really tough conditions. So that was also why no one had used these lithium batteries before. So we figured out that, okay, if we take these lithium ion phosphate, stack them up together, do some minor changes on them, it would be perfect for this kind of stuff. What were you say the, because um, I'm thinking this, the Celsius, 20 Celsius is 68 degrees Fahrenheit. What were you saying they can go a lot higher and colder than, or what were they? Yeah, so up to plus 80 Celsius. Okay, so 80 Celsius is 176 degrees Fahrenheit. Yeah, and minus 20 Celsius oh, down oh, to minus. minus 20 is, uh, let's see, is 4 degrees Fahrenheit. Yeah, and without losing any capacity. So if you bring your iPhone on a ski vacation, you will experience that it basically just shuts down in five minutes. The speaker can basically play in any condition. When you're saying power banks, I guess those are kind of like, if I'm picturing it, it's those USB chargers, like if I, I could use for a phone, but like a bit bigger ones, and they just put... Yeah, so... So the battery is like on the outside of the speaker in this, it's hard to explain. You can see it on our website. Basically, this allows you to bring several batteries and swap it out in a second. If you want to play for several days or weeks, you can bring. It's like the size of a fist, a little bit bigger than the size of a fist, and it plays the speaker up to 60 hours. Awesome. Did you go to a Chinese manufacturer to get these? Let's just talk about the first one that y'all made using this battery. Biggest manufacturer for batteries are in China. That's where you get the best quality, actually. We started reaching out to, again, some other startups who dealt with batteries, got some advice from them, started buying in test batteries, basically, and figured out the right ones to go with. Yeah, that's the simplified version. But dealing with the Chinese manufacturer and stuff, was that difficult? That was Jesper and Christopher who handled that part. I am responsible for like, the marketing in general. 
I mean, it's definitely not easy. They put a lot of work into it. It's hard to like, when is something hard and when is something just like, just requires the right amount of dedication. It's doable, but it's not like, it's not something you do in a day, but it was, they, they did in like a few months with no experience. So I'm just looking at it. So it, just compare your speaker now to a regular PA speaker or, cause I guess that, that'd be what most people would be used to as a competitor to it. So yeah. can you explain the weight difference, how much louder, et cetera? Yeah, exactly. So what we, we have this thing on our website, how does it compare? So we have Bluetooth speakers on the, on the left side and a PA system on the right. Looking at it right now. And we say like loud enough for 100 people, the sound box and the PA system does that well. Is it doable enough for drunk people? Basically, that's only the sound box. Cause if you flip over it, if you toss a beer into it, is something, is someone fall in a cable or stuff like that, the part is ruined. That's what we wanted to prevent basically. It has Bluetooth, which a PA system doesn't. It takes like literally turn on the button, connect to Bluetooth, and then you're on. You don't need to work with cables and generators and all this crap. And so it's set up, sets up in a few seconds. You have this modular battery system, so you have infinite playtime. So like it's, it's the combination of all these things that just makes partying or getting sound at your event so, so much more easier. I just know a little bit more detail on like audio, but the amplifier that y'all use seems like it's super efficient as well. And uh... Exactly. So the whole combination lies in high capacity batteries, very, very sensitive speaker units that can produce a lot of sound with almost no energy. And then this very efficient amplifier that basically transforms this energy into a, a lot of no, sound. I, I agree. Yeah. So those three combination together is what, for some reason, no one else could figure out, it seems like, even though it doesn't seem that, they said, I, th- I think the ultimate game changer is that is maybe that battery, but all three of those things together is why uh said it seems like it makes a lot of sense for people looking for a speaker. Do you want to talk more about the marketing side since you're on that? I love the way your website looks. And actually, y'all went through Y Combinator as well, right? Yes, exactly. Okay, so yeah, you want to touch on that as well? Yeah. Okay. After we got the first product developed, then came the most like three, four hectic months of our lives. (laughs) And how much was that first one that you developed? Like how much did it cost and whatnot? It cost, we had a model for $1,000 and a model for $700. Later on, we turned that into one model because it just didn't, like, we, we wanted to deliver a premium product and we can make better products if we only focus on one and simplify the supply chain. So that's what we decided to do. And then, yeah, why Combinator? How did y'all get into it? And when you brought Soundbox there, what did they think? Yeah, so I think before Y Combinator, it's really important to understand that we, because the only reason why we got into Y Combinator is we had already shown that there was a huge interest for this product. We ended up selling 500 speakers in less than three months, basically with no experience or anything. Like we just had this very simple website that showcases leading up to this one festival. We had 24 friends producing speakers in a 60 square meter garage. So we covered 24 hours. So we had eight people from eight to four, eight people from four to 12 in the evening and eight people from 12 to eight in the morning. And it's all these stories that made Y Combinator believe in us because we didn't think at all. Like we we just had to get these speakers out to the customers who wanted them. We ended up going completely sold out seven days before the festival. And it was all like based around word of mouth, people just hearing about how crazy the speaker is. After that proof of concept, making like $300,000 revenue in, in three months with no, no liquidity or anything at all. We applied to Y Combinator with, with this case and they found it interesting. We spent like two weeks on the application and also again, seeked out to a lot of other startups that have been into Y Combinator, got advice from them, how the application should be. And they liked what they read. So they contacted us to fly us over for an interview. 
we did the interview, the most intense 10 minutes of your life, because <laughs> you know that if you manage to get through this, yeah, it's like what, they have like 12,000 people applying and they accept 80 people. So we kind of knew that, okay, if, if we do this, the times where people consider this as a bunch of young kids with a simple idea, but content continuously asking us, how the hell are you going to do this without money? How the hell are you going to do this without any experience? Blah, 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 blah. We kind of knew that these times would be over more or less if we got into Y Combinator. We were shitting our pants. <laughs> like how much was it costing you to make those? Let's just say, is it just a thousand dollar model now, basically? Yeah. So now we have this model, which is like $899 and with, with one battery, and then you can buy several batteries. How much does it cost you? To produce? Yeah. I'm not, I actually haven't talked about if we, uh, if we want to disclose that. Okay. Well, that's fine. I don't want you to get in trouble with your guys or whatever. I, I'm just curious on that. And I'm imagining, I'm picturing you and when you're talking to Wine Combinator people, did you have to actually fly over there? The guys from in Yarn and Denmark? Mm -hmm. So you had to fly over there? Yeah, we flew over to uh, Wine Combinator. I'm just trying to think about what questions they were asking to break y'all. So that, I, I figured that, that was probably number one, how much does it cost and how much you sell it for. But could you tell us about some of those things that they were trying to vent and make sure that y'all were a, a good company? Yeah, so I think what Y Combinator really focus on is uh, that you can prove that there's an actual interest for this product and that you have the possibility of becoming not just a mediocre company, but actually a billion dollar plus company. And what they really care about is people. They don't necessarily buy into ideas, they buy into people. What the, these 10 minutes is about is really testing you guys. It's so intense. They expect you to answer what is your go-to-market strategy in 10 seconds. And then they'll ask a new question. So there's like practice websites on, I don't know, you can find some of them, where you can see a lot of different questions and just practice these things. Try to answer it in 10 to 15 seconds. Be so freaking concise. Like don't say anything extra. Just get to the point. That's what it's all about. How about you speak to the marketing end a little bit because that's your main focus? Mm -hmm. Yeah, how have you done that? Because I think it's pretty smart when you're bringing those things to festivals, you know that people care about it, right? Could you talk to us a little bit more about marketing? Yeah, I think we're still in a huge learning process on how to get the word out of around this product because our global awareness is very, very low at the moment. We're still growing. But what we've seen is that this product basically just speaks for itself. We just have to get this product in front of as many people as possible in a real use case. That's where they realize, oh shit, I need this because it's going to make my life so much easier and so much more fun. Initially, we thought we were never going to retailers, but now we've seen the the power of, of going into retailers in Denmark and we are expanding on that. But it's this product is so much about community. So we're very, very focused on investing in our customers. There's a lot of things to it. It's about like building this culture and a movement around showing people that partying and throwing parties shouldn't be a hassle. It can actually be great to be the guy who throws the party because it's it's easy with the soundbox and you get a whole lot of attention. You end up meeting a lot of people and people will approach you and start talking to you. Just To me, it looks awesome and I can understand some of the power, but I guess the main thing is you have to get in front of people to actually hear it, right? Because you can't, it's that hard to do over a computer to know the difference. Exactly. So in the end, it's about getting this product organically in front of people. Like we don't like to sell. We would rather attract people. Are your customers mostly in Denmark? Right now, we actually like, it's 25, 30% Denmark, 25, 30% Germany, 25% US. The rest, 20% is everything from France, Norway, Switzerland, Australia, Canada. But our main market is Germany, California, US, and Denmark.
it seems like you're mainly kind of concerned with the party aspect. Have you thought about going into other things? It sounds like originally you're doing two products and it's smarter just to go down to one. And then mm-hmm. a, a second question is, that, have you ever thought about doing lights on it and stuff? Because I know, I've noticed some speakers have started kind of trending that way. It seems like. We're talking about product development right now, but in general, we want to keep this as no bullshitty as much as possible because it's all about if something breaks on the speaker, the party's over. So it's all about making it so simple, focusing on the things that, that has to be there and making them as great as possible. So you see all these over-exaggerated products out there that just end up wanting to do everything in one product and they end up failing. So what we want to make sure is that your party is flawless. Tell us about some of the difficulty manufacturing. It's kind of crazy that you had, at least the first time, eight people working on three different shifts, 24 hours. Yeah. But t- <laughs> talk to us about that because we were talking about that a little bit in the pre-interview. Yeah, so in the beginning, we kind of just had to produce it ourselves because uh, we didn't know better and we didn't have time to set up anything. We didn't have the money to outsource the production. So we basically just did it ourselves. And then eventually when we wanted to scale up production and start improving the product and actually start working as a business, we had to, what you would basically do is often outsource this to people who are experienced in producing. We reach out to a lot of people in manufacturers and everything from Sweden, China, Lithuania, and we ended up producing the sandbox in Lithuania. And we've been through a lot of trouble like any other hardware company because there's so many steps that you have to go through and the chances are that something will go wrong. It's most likely because you have so many different people in so many different places all over the world. Shipping and production uh, checkup, like I haven't heard of any hardware startup yet that hasn't had serious issues with producing. So we've been through all that crap. And after we did a Kickstarter, after doing Y Combinator, where we sold for $800,000, 1,400 products, we got delayed with production because the production partner that we had agreed and signed, uh, signed everything with, they had some change in strategic things. So they made their unit in Sweden. We had ended up going in Sweden because we thought that would be the most safe and most highest quality everything. And that ended up being a bad decision. We couldn't have done it anyway. Like we didn't know that, but they ended up basically telling us, oh, we're not a production unit anymore. We're only going to do development. So uh, see you guys. <laughs> so we had like one month, two months to deliver like 1500 speakers. That was kind of crazy. So tell us about the story. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. It was, it was madness. But again, Christopher handled all this. He has this like skill of uh, just accept things as they are and doing his part and, and getting things under control. I think I'm still very impressed with him this day today, how he managed that. And we had a backup solution in Lithuania, which are the partners we're working with now. We ended up getting all the parts shipped to Lithuania with express shipping, flying down there. They flew down there and taught them how to build the speaker in like a few days. Everything was just like so hectic, but somehow they made it and we only got like a few months delayed with production. So because one thing is that you have a lot of angry customers waiting for the product. Another thing is that you start up getting really worried because your liquidity is messed up. Because if you don't keep on selling, if you don't keep on producing, first of all, you don't get the money in from the payment providers and you have based your whole business model around the fact that more money is going to come in from more sales. So to a lot of people that I tell this story, it's like, oh yeah, okay, you just got delayed with a few months. But the reality is that it can actually kill your business if you don't solve these issues very fast because you'll end up like there's so many Kickstarter stories around. I don't have to mention any names, but people getting a really, really successful campaign that ends up turning into a several years for long nightmare, basically, because you have to sell products at a full price to actually be able to deliver the products you sold at a discounted price and blah, 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 blah. Yeah. 
was it a lot more to get it manufactured that quick? Because I guess mainly it's time there because you want to make sure you get it out like you said you would. But did that end up costing a lot more when you had to go to Lithuania? Yeah, definitely. We ended up basically not making any money on the first speakers. We had to actually raise funding to get this out because of the express shipping, because of an increase in bill of materials, like everything just is all the traditional stories, like everything just don't go as you expect them to be. But I'm happy the way we did it. I don't think it's funny because you, you talk about these things. It's hard to regret anything because you didn't know any better at that point. And I'm looking at the Kickstarter thing now that you said it, like I said, it, it just kind of fascinating. What's been the hardest thing for you and your partners in growing the company? A lot of different answers to that question, and it depends on how you look at it. I think it's this personal side of building a business and being this young that you really have to be ready. And everything just came so fast. You really have to keep up with life every single day. And I think uh, that's at least something that I've uh, been dealing a lot with, trying to grow up while you build your business. And all of a sudden, you are a leader for 30 plus people, which is amazing, which is your dream. Your dream is coming true. Right. <laughs> Your dream is, that's a nice thing, but it's also the issue, right? So, <laughs> yeah. Kind of crazy. Because you, you probably always wanted that, but then I guess you're about 22, right? And then you didn't think it'd get here that quick. Exactly. That's been one thing that I personally can speak a lot about. And then these things like keeping up with production, handling finances and learning how to actually deal with marketing on a global scale, entering new markets, adapting to cultures. The cultures are different in America than Denmark. Understanding all these markets, like so many impressions that you have to take in and deal with while managing your daily work, while making sure that you make the right decisions that will affect what happens in one, two, three, four, five years, while dealing with potential issues that happened one, two, three months ago. So it's prioritizing your time and prioritizing your focus. That's a big thing. Hey there, one quick message. Hope you're enjoying all of our episodes. If you are, then consider subscribing to our weekly podcasts. Just search for Millionaire Interviews in your podcast player. And be sure to look for the Chuck Norris album artwork. Thanks again for tuning in. It doesn't seem like selling's been too hard for you because it's just a product is so much so good, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. You said you wanted to do only this one product. You haven't thought about doing like smaller speakers or I saw those DJ said. I'm just trying to see if there what other opportunities y'all think there is for you uh, going forward. We definitely have plans to expand the product, the products someday. But what we know is that we want to be the best. We are the best in the world at producing this kind of niche product. And we believe that this is, it's not necessarily a niche. We think it's, we see it more as a lifestyle. And we just see that people are starting to, people that have heard about us two years ago, starting to buy now because they heard from friends and friends and friends what this is about. And they kind of got in. I think the potential is just like, we just scratched the surface. So we don't want to get into this competitive, small Bluetooth speaker market. That's not where, what we... That's super crowded. <laughs> yeah, I, see exactly. those, I see those everywhere from China. It seems exactly. like this, and that's why Yells is a lot different. You know, it seems like... This is all about the community. It's all about the lifestyle. It's all about the brand. It's all about that we are actually solving a pain that we are the best in the world at understanding because we just developed a product for ourselves in the most extreme conditions. So there's no reason for us to try to compete with these like huge corporate companies that has tons of millions in product development resources because we're not going to be able to compete with that because we don't understand these products. But what we understand is the pain that we had when we sat in our own camp at Roskilde Festival. So that's what we're going to focus on.
And for, as we're like closing down here, what advice would you give to entrepreneurs that are listening, that are trying their first thing or kind of scared and need a push? Like I said, what would you tell them? We had this advantage that we were, are and were young. We didn't have a family to supply and all these things. So there's two different persons, two different kinds of wanting to be an entrepreneur. That's the entrepreneur that doesn't need the money right now to actually have a life. And we were that kind of entrepreneur. So I can't speak for the other ones. So I'm going to talk to, to you guys out there that doesn't need your family or anything <laughs> right, right now. And for you guys, I think you have to quit all the thoughts about making money, quit all the thoughts about having this immediate success, just letting go and figuring out what is your passion, what drives you and start doing that. Because we just wanted to build something. We just wanted to provide value for people. And we honestly did not start with the objective of necessarily making money in the first few years. We were completely fine with having this side job working to be able to work. That was how we wanted it to be. So, and when you don't expect all these things to happen, when you just do what you do because you, you like it, all the other things come. That's what I've seen so many times that if you just feel happy with what you're doing, you will be successful somehow. I think so. And be ready to fail because there's not really anything called failure. See this as a huge experiment. See life as an experiment because when you see it that way, you can't really fail. You can only learn. All right. Well, I said that we appreciate you coming on. If someone wanted to reach out and say thank you for doing the interview or if they wanted to buy one of your uh, speakers, where should they go? Currently, we are on soundbox.com with KS, so sound and B-O-K-S, because we're from the Nordics. <laughs> and we're also looking to go into retailers, but in the US, but it's on Amazon and our own, web own website right now. All right. Well, like I said, thank you again for coming on. Thank you so much for having me. Mm -hmm. Have a good one. Cool. You too.